Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics, and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening, or that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lambert. Today, we're exploring the process of recovery from the perspective and lived experience of Maddie Kitt. Maddie is joining us from Alberta, Canada. She has a background in psychology and a license in emergency responding, and she's currently writing a book about her experience with anorexia, as well as other obstacles she's overcome. She hopes to share her story with the world to help anyone who may have gone through something similar. We are so glad you're here today, Maddie. We know that sharing our stories really can go so far in in helping other people. So uh, we're really, really grateful to have you. Thanks for being with us today. Of course. So, you know, we understand that an eating disorder has been a long part of your story. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I was first diagnosed with anorexia when I was nine. And it kind of came like out of nowhere. Um, I was just a kid. So I didn't know what I was doing necessarily. I didn't know anything about eating disorders, but I got bullied a lot in school. And I think I just kind of put two and two together and figured out what that actually meant. And it only took a couple months before I was placed in the psych ward because in Canada, there's, well, in my area, there's only one treatment center for eating disorders and they only accept teenagers. And so I was nine, so they couldn't put me in it. So my parents had really no other choice but to put me in like the psych ward, which I was there for about four months and I wasn't allowed to see my family for a couple of those months. They didn't really know much about eating disorders, especially in kids, because they weren't really trained in that. So yeah, it was difficult for sure. I ended up having to be food fed because I refused to eat alone and then eventually I got out after a couple more months and that's kind of the beginning of where it all started. Wow, that sounds like a number of barriers in that story. I'm curious, were there, when you were in the hospital, was there anybody else there that was also struggling with an eating disorder or were you sort of alone in that piece of it? I was the only one with any eating issues whatsoever, but they closed the child side during the summer and they moved into the adult section, which was a lot more traumatizing, I guess I'd say, especially since I was alone and like the only kid. And there, there were a couple girls that had eating disorders, but it was a little bit different. There seemed to be more, I guess, with other things, like they were also using drugs as well. So it was also just kind of a mix of things that wasn't quite the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Sounds it sounds kind of scary and and really pretty lonely potentially. Um, you know, we know that recovery's not not linear. There's not sort of a quick fix or a magic pill or anything like that. Recovery's messy and it's really a collection of sort of small pieces of progress over time. Were there points along the way that you knew that like it was getting better, that you were getting better, that you could tell us about? It got really better once I got out, When I after I turned 10. I was doing really, really good. I was just focused on school. 
other friends, just like regular kid stuff at that point. So that, that's when it started to get really better. Yeah. And then what kind of happened, what happened after that? When you were, you know, in that period of time where it was going pretty well, what, what happened next? I entered high school and things were still pretty good at the beginning of high school. Of course, like people still bully and, but like it was kind of regular to me at that point. But during my first couple months of high school, I had been sexually assaulted and it had taken a really big toll on me, I suppose. And it just kind of came natural to me to use this as a coping mechanism. So that's kind of when it started to come back. Wow. Yeah. So we we know that the literature in eating disorders is starting to help us to understand that that eating disorders, while people don't in any way sort of choose them to cope or to have control in their lives, that the brain experiences some eating disorder behaviors as as soothing it sort of feels while it might feel bad in lots of ways it actually feels better in some ways and so it totally makes some sense that after that traumatic experience that your brain would would feel like oh i remember when i was had these behaviors happening i felt different so that that makes some sense when you were going through that part now we're in high school where did people notice? Did did you end up reaching out for help or having people intervene? What happened at that point? Um, I didn't reach out for, I guess I should say, nobody noticed for quite a long time, probably about six months if something was off of me. Um, I only really had one friend during high school, and eventually she began to notice something was up. And so she ended up dragging me to like our school guidance counselor and I kind of just let it all out, what happened, everything. And the school guidance counselor told me that she would not inform my family about it because I didn't want them to know. And then later on, she eventually like told them what happened. And my family initially didn't want me to go to the police or anything. They just didn't want I guess over their shoulders, but eventually it just became like too much for me to handle on my own. And so I told my friend's mom and she ended up taking me to the police. And so once that was dealt with, I ended up being for the entire like three years of high school, I was in court and dealing with that kind of stuff. So on top of that, the eating disorder just kind of arose just because of all the stress I was having to deal with with you know, police not believing my story and stuff like that. And I've been like the weird kid, I guess, because it got a lot of attention, obviously, at school. And I ended up in grade 11 dropping out of school and I finished it from home because I couldn't handle like being at school anymore, which caused a lot more of stories of what happened to me. But I mean, like, thank goodness high school's over. So that's kind of dealt with now. But not many people knew, but more got out once I ended up going to court. Wow, that is intense. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. That's a, a deeply personal thing, and we appreciate that you're able to share it, and it really does give other people hope and support. Well, how was the eating disorder during that time when you were going through all of that in high school? How were you feeling? 
what was happening there? It started off really slowly, but at the time it started, it wasn't more so that I just wanted to be thinning, I guess. It was more so I was too stressed out and like nauseous to actually eat. And then once it became, I noticed that I started losing weight, became about the weight and like, oh, I need to be like thinner to be accepted because I'd been like teased about my weight my whole life. So once it became about that, it just kind of got out of control. It was two very difficult things to like deal with. It, it sounds like a number of difficult things stacked on top of each other. Absolutely. How did you find, where did you find sources of hope in the middle of that? What helped you to keep going? I didn't find much support from friends or family more so as I I like kind of dealt with it until I turned about 20 and when I turned 20 I ended up dating somebody who I had known for five years and we were best friends for five years and so he ended up going to school in California and he wanted me to go with him and so I ended up going and through that I found a lot of help just by like having someone to be, like there to listen to and talk to and stuff and things got really really well and that's kind of when I first saw like like a chance that I could finally like get over this and things didn't go that well and I ended up falling back into it and having to move back to Canada and then it was just on and off for about a year and then I ended up getting admitted into the teenage eating disorder recovery place here and that gave me like a real wake-up call, I guess, all of it being there, you know. And was that the same place you were years before, or was that the other program? No, I was able to go into the teenage ward now since I was 16. Right. And what was, if anything, what was helpful there in, in that admission? Well, at first I hated it. I was very angry. I ended up being um, sectioned, so I was my choice. Even though I was 20, it wasn't the parents, it was theirs. And so I was very mad at first. But then once I started to just let go of like the anger, I listened to what they were saying, and I figured out I don't want this to be the rest of my life. I don't want to look back in like 50 years and make this be my 20s. And I didn't want to stay there anymore, and I knew that. And the only way they would let me leave is either if I just complied with eating what they wanted me to, or if I got a tube in my nose again. And both of those, I didn't really want to. So I came up with like this insanely long meal plan for myself. And once I came up with that, they were all like, okay, if you can do this here, then you can go home. And so they let me go home. And I, I go to the therapist and stuff like that. I take the meds they give me. Some of them more than others because some of them are a little bit more extreme. But yeah, that's really where my life kind of changed. It sounds like you found a, a plan and a path that you felt like would work for you, and they agreed. Sounded like it might be workable. That's that's great. Just uh, because it's a little different in different countries and different states, can you just say a, a little bit about the 
process and what it meant to be sectioned. I think in the States, the word here is committed, but just say a little bit about what that process is like. So pretty much here, they they kind of have like the police take you. So I had been to that treatment center and I was just talking to the doctor there. And she had decided without letting me know, my parents know, really anyone, that the government kind of owned me at that point. So no one could have taken me out with my parents, like they couldn't get power of attorney or anything. And me being 21 at that time, I spent like my birthday in there, so I couldn't get out as well. So I had gone there for an appointment just to my knowledge, seeing the doctor. And then the police were behind me and just kind of took me up, which obviously is scary. But I mean, they did it for my own good now that I see that because I probably wouldn't have been alive right now if they wouldn't have. And they only had about 13 beds in the inpatient program. So it was really hard to get in. And so that's kind of when I knew that I needed to be there if they needed to take control over me that badly. Yeah, that can be a really scary, scary process. I know in, in some countries it's compulsory treatment, some it's committed, the words are different, but it's the same kind of concept when somebody is so worried about your safety that they that they engage the courts and the police system to make sure you, you go, right? And that that perspective makes a ton of sense, right? That in that moment, I imagine you were scared and maybe angry and what's happening. And I think that's really common for people who have that experience. And then later they say, oh, okay, I'm glad. I'm glad that that happened because it was helpful ultimately. When you were in treatment during that time and you were, you were trying to come up with ways to, to make this work and to, to let them have you go home and when you were designing your, I love that you were designing your own meal plan. I'm a dietitian by training, so I, I, I love that part of it. What what sort of lessons do you think you learned about yourself, taught yourself, or learned in that experience of being faced with being in a situation that you weren't really enamored with and on some level knowing it was the right thing for you? Any any thoughts you have about what you learned about yourself or uh, what you learned from that experience that would, might be helpful for others to hear about? I learned a lot that I needed to let people in my life that were keeping me sick go as much as I loved them, cared about them, whether they were family or like friends for a long time. They were just enabling me, I suppose, in what I was doing, as in you know, congratulating me for pretty much just doing really bad harm to myself. And I learned that for, like, all the people that I've had loved me, like, truly loved me for who I am, it has never had to do with what I weigh. If they're the right person, they're not going to not love me because I weigh 10 extra pounds. And, like, that was really hard to deal with because I thought I was doing it for other people. And that moment I realized I was doing it for myself. And I don't know, it was, it was kind of a big revelation to realize that, like, it sounds like super corny and cheesy, but like, I'm only going to have like one body for my entire life. And I don't want my life to be worrying about shrinking my size 
when I could be helping people. Like that's all I've ever wanted to do is be able to help people. And like I do believe that every single thing that has happened since I was a kid is like horrible it was and sometimes I wish it wasn't me. I'm glad that it did because now I feel like I could help people in the same scenario. And that's all I really want to do is be able to like tell someone that it, your mindset will change eventually. And like of course there's gonna be flip-ups and of course you're gonna like feel bad some days but the good days are so much better than like every other day basic absolutely I think that that's so that's so powerful and I think it's so true and I I hear that a lot I I had an eating disorder and, and recovered too and have that exact same feeling of like the even a kind of bad day in recovery is way better than being sick absolutely yeah. And that that concept that you have, I, I love it of like, this is your body and it can do so much and it can help people and, and it's our way to walk around this world. And so tending to it and taking care of it and being kind to it is so important and doing that for you so that you can be the light that you that you want to be and you can you can be the influence yeah. you want to be. What do you think, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand eating disorders, right? A lot of people don't understand the illness. They don't understand about recovery. Is there anything in particular or a, a couple things that you'd really like other people to know about eating disorders to help them understand just a little bit more? I feel like a lot of people think it's a vain disorder and people who are doing it are extremely selfish. And like, I can't speak for anyone else or why they do it, but I can definitely say from people that I've seen that have been doing it, it's not because they want to be prettier. It definitely is something that is brought on by either trauma or depression, or it could be like a number of things. So I think people should really like take it easy and try to understand People maybe even try to get some help as soon as it's, they notice something different because the further it, it goes, like the deeper the person gets into it and the harder it is to get them out. As well as I think people really need to just stop saying just eat something because the amount of times I've heard that I would, I would be a millionaire if like I had as much money as the amount of times I've heard that. And like, of course, but I know that people a lot of people don't know what to say. And it's a really touchy subject. You don't want to offend the person of who's going through it, of course. But I think like the best thing for me is telling them, like, you're gonna love them no matter what. And, you know, like weight really does not define you. It's like your mind and your body. And like when you get into an eating disorder, the biggest thing I noticed was my mind, I wasn't the same person. And I didn't care about anything and I think that it really changes your mind as well as like everything else but your mind has like a drastic change on it and so as soon as someone like starts to notice I think they should really try to get the person help or something like that yeah I think that's really wise advice that that matches with everything we we know about how uh what's helpful like getting somebody help early and often and sometimes we have this like, oh, it's none of my business, or maybe it's not a big deal, and but yet we're really concerned. I always tell people, like, if you're concerned, you're probably onto something. And really the worst thing that will happen is you'll 
talk to somebody and say, I'm worried about you. Maybe we should get some help and you'll go and get help. And they'll say, no, you're okay. You don't have an eating disorder. That's like the worst thing that'll happen. It's, it's okay to tell people you're concerned and let them know, because you're right. The, the, the longer it goes on, the, the further people sink in and it's, it's harder to change that. What, like along that line, what advice would you give to somebody who's currently struggling or currently trying to kind of wrestle with, should I get some help or people are worried about me and they want me to get some help or they're in the process of recovery and they just feel kind of stuck. Maybe they feel a little defeated or unmotivated because recovery is hard, right? What, what advice do you have for them or what would you tell them? Honestly, what I did was I took it day by day and if I woke up and had a bad day, I would, you know, I would write down what my goals are and what I really want to do for the future. And the first thing that came to my mind, like not one of those goals had to do with being smaller. It had to do with everything else. And that really helped me as well as spend more time with your friends and family. Like anything that gets your mind off of the thoughts that shouldn't be there is definitely something that will help you in the future. As hard as it may seem now, myself, I find it hard not to, you know, like look in a mirror. I always want to look in a mirror. It's just something that I'm natural to me. But instead of like thinking like horrible things about myself when I look in the mirror, I try to point out five good things I like about myself. And like, yes, I still do have bad days. Like everyone's going to have bad days, whether they have an eating disorder or not. But by the weeks and months, it just gets a lot easier. And I've gotten shown so much more love and acceptance. And people have wanted to hang out with me more, spend more time with me now that I'm doing way better than before. And like, that's something that I always wanted. So I think that's something to look forward to as well. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about like what brings you joy now. Tell us about life right now and, and, the things that excite you? Well, due to the COVID situation, there's not much to do. Um, but I I really like writing. I've always loved to do it. And before, I never really had an idea of what I wanted to do. And then I decided, like, what am I talking about? I've had so much go on for the past 12 years of my life. So I started writing a book. And, like, that makes me really excited because... It puts me in a really vulnerable position with all the people that, you know, used to be horrible to me. But it's also a huge wake-up call to maybe anyone who's struggling with this, even people who believe to see what it really can do to people. And I'm really excited about that. Other than that, I don't know. I spend time with my cats, um, try to see my friends as much as possible, even though it's kind of hard right now. Or, like, as soon as the border opens up, I'm planning to travel. So I'm really excited about that too. But a lot more than I could say than what I felt like before. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, even in the midst of a global pandemic, you have so much more to look forward to and so much more that you're excited about. And it sounds like so much more you're, you're vibrant about. It's beautiful. Sort of last question. When you, when you think back to your, you know, that, that nine-year-old girl who just, I mean, that's a heartbreaking thing to think about. What would you like to 
sort of whisper in her ear and let her know with everything you know now? A part of me knows that I'm a strong person for, I've been told that by like every therapist and anyone I can imagine by like what I've dealt with. And like, that's a great thing to hear and it's good. But a part of me wishes that I could like tell my nine-year-old self that I shouldn't have, you know, just let people push me around and push me to that point because my life might may have been completely different now. Like who knows what I would have been doing, where I would have been. And so as a part of me is like grateful for the experience that I have now that I can actually, you know, relate to other people and help them. A part of me also wishes that I would have just told myself to like look the other way. Or maybe I could have asked my parents to take me to different school or homeschool me or, you know, just not let them get to me as much as they did. But I think at the point that I was when I was nine, and how vulnerable I was just because I was a kid and with all the things that were being said to me, I think no matter really what I would say to myself now, I probably still would have ended up the same way just because I was a kid. But I think I would have came out a lot stronger if I could have seen myself now when I was nine years old. Yeah, that makes sense. I I find myself thinking I I want to sort of reach back in time and and talk to all those teachers and the adults around about about how wrong bullying is like you should not have had to manage that on your own as a kid and our, in our society you know weight bullying and and weight stigma and comments about other people's bodies are just far too prevalent and the, the i guess the good news about that is we can change that right that we can we can demand better for ourselves for our kids for our adults and really hold ourselves to a different standard in terms of making it not okay as we really work as as a society to improve how we treat each other we can't forget about weight stigma and weight related bullying and appearance bullying because it's your story all too well illustrates how damaging it can be and we kind of tend to disregard it sometimes like oh it's not that big of a deal but it's a huge deal I think that there should definitely be a person, someone who may be a dealt with maybe sort of come into the school and like explain their story, explain what bullying can really do, because you never know, maybe that could help. I think there can definitely be more awareness to the things they can do with people. Yeah. And adults can, can do more to say, we're not going to allow that, right? We have zero tolerance for other behaviors and what we say to each other in schools and i i think there's i know there's a, a lot of people across the world working really hard to extend that to to that kind of bullying because it's it's not okay but i i hear the the hope that you want to share with people and that you know through your book and through your story and and just through reaching back to that young girl and really knowing how strong she is because that's i i would echo that knowing you only a short time you do seem like you have an incredible internal strength. That's really beautiful. Well, it was wonderful to have you with us and to, to share your story and to help us to think about how we can really continue to work on changing the world in small ways so that people can grow up in a different, a different kind of environment uh, that helps them flourish.
rather than than challenging them in the ways that we do. So we really, really appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, I do think that your your story and your book really will do what you hope to 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 give hope to somebody else. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Emily Program. Peace Meal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.